Andrew Soap here, back for another episode of The Zag, live in 20, oh, when was that? 17, NLCLA engaged inaugural fellow Alex on. We're in his house in Lamert Park. We're going to talk movies. We're going to talk film. We're going to talk all sorts of stuff. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. All right, Alex, how long have you been in this house? I've been here a couple times, and I always like being here. What's, this, what's the story behind your house? Uh, I've been in here for... Two and a half years, and uh, this house has basically been under construction for two years and a quarter, so almost the full amount of time. And I'm about to go back into construction soon because I'm a crazy person. So what's the short list of things you've done since you moved in here? I redid the kitchen, the bathroom, the electric, the plumbing, the gas, uh, pretty much everything. The roof, the skylights, the lighting, the entire exterior, everything's new. Sounds good. Uh, your job is not construction. You are in film, yeah. um, which is probably good. I don't think you actually did all the work, but maybe some of the work. Some of the work, yeah. But you did a lot of the work on a pretty popular film that's out right now called Searching. Uh, yeah. Give folks the scoop on that movie. Uh, Searching is an awesome movie uh, about a father who uh, is has lost his daughter, and he goes into her computer to try to find her after uh, she's gone missing for 24 hours, and he uses all of the devices that she's been on uh, to try to create a path to connect with her. And it's the first movie to feature a Korean American family in the lead of the film um, and uh, in Thriller in a contemporary wide release movie. And it's starring John Cho and it's out now and it's the coolest movie ever because it's told through the perspective of the mind's eye of a, of a computer screen and other devices that you are in within the entirety of the movie and it is unlike anything you've ever seen before that's for sure yeah uh, and i'll definitely not spoil anything except for the fact that i've seen the movie loved it thought it was great was worried a little bit that it would be gimmicky right you think yeah, of sure. screens um and film not necessarily translating especially for a whole feature length movie how did you feel comfortable when your team was deciding to to pick up the film um that this would actually work as a concept i think that when we all saw it we just thought that not only did the gimmick, if there were to be any gimmick of anything on screen uh, in terms of what you're watching, like erase itself immediately within the first 10 minutes of the movie. But in addition to that, you were so on the edge of your seat throughout the entire thing that it didn't matter what was going on on screen. All that mattered was you are in it. You are in this movie. You are part of this story. And uh, that's a, re- a rare feeling that you get when you're watching something for the first time and you have the ability to to bring it into the studio where you can say, man, I've never seen anything like this and um, the world needs to see this. Yeah. And what is it like to watch a movie roll out? I think it was interesting. It's release initially was relatively small. Buzz was good. It gets bigger and bigger. And we'll talk a little bit about the play of it internationally but yeah what is it like when you're involved in a movie and you put a lot of time into it before anyone has seen it and then the rollout week by week by week you're watching it what is that what what kind of things go through your mind what kind of things are you looking for and how it does uh it's it's stressful but it's also a great way to see a movie blossom from an idea to a finished film to its release and 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 also it's from an idea in terms of how to release it into the way it actually comes out so i guess initially when you watch it and it's on a limited number of screens you just hope that there's a really high average uh per screen uh average of uh people going and dollars spent at each theater that it plays in and if you can get a certain average that's uh that's that's pretty high at a limited number of screens it really bodes well for the future success of your film because that means that if you're to spread the wealth and have 
many thousands of more screens than are out at the beginning, there's a great chance that those screens would have a, an average that would spread out across them, which would equate to across the United States and then across the world, a really great return and a really great box office number for, you know, to, to gauge the film's monetary success. Yeah. Then after the film, I texted you, you said, it's a great movie. How's it doing domestically? And then you kind of surprised me and said, it's doing gangbusters in, in Asia and different parts of the world. How does that work from an international release standpoint? Do you have to wait for certain time windows? Do you have to kind of navigate different uh, rules about how films are released in different countries? How does that usually play? Uh, there's definitely different time windows and there's different rules, um, but uh, th- those are very nuanced for every country. But in general, you can release a film nearly, I mean, depending upon your studio, you can release a film simultaneously around the world, or you could re- release a film and, and stagger its release based upon what the territories of each country and region believe is the best time to release the film in relation to when you release the film and then you also have to account for things like piracy and, you know, various forms of theft of your film, which are almost inevitable to happen in in a variety of ways across the world now. So you think about those things and you kind of stagger a release and uh, you can watch it blossom like it did in Korea, which was amazing. It's just doing so great there. It's number one movie in Korea uh, for the, I believe the third week counting now. And it's making uh, a ton of money there and people are really responding to it and seeing it multiple times and telling their friends because they're trying to uncover, you know, the various clues within the film to, to, to see what they might have missed the first go round. Yeah. And last thing on searching, I feel like uh, John Cho has a hundred percent approval rating. Like he's just, everybody loves him. I haven't met anyone who, who, who doesn't. It was interesting to read some of the backstory in the film that he was at first reluctant to take the plunge into the movie and then made the decision has been very happy since. Uh, what is he actually like in person? I'm sure you've met him a few times at this point. Uh, do you concur that he has a hundred percent approval rating? I, I definitely would say so. Everybody I run into, uh, that knows John Cho or has run into John Cho loves him. He's such a nice guy and he's a very, uh, uh, thoughtful individual, thoughtful actor. And, uh, what's so great about him, I think is that he's been around for so long and he has been in, you know, a lot of movies that we know him, uh, from, um, like, you know, Harold and Kumar or, or Star Trek or whatever it may be. Um, but in this film, he gets to really showcase like a new older version of himself. That's like a very mature actor, which many people may have missed for many years, which is why a couple of years ago, there was a hashtag that was created that was starring John Cho. It was like hashtag starring John Cho to try to get John Cho into like, you know, to be the star of like Mission Impossible or to be the next Bond or whatever. And it was like made in jest, but also with relation to how great he is at acting. So what was great was when Searching came out, they made a note. He actually wrote a note to his fans, which was like, you know, years ago, this was a joke and meant in jest about me being the star of certain things. And while I never got it, I couldn't be happier with my career. And I'm so proud of all the support everyone gives me. And he just wrote the most beautiful letter and people love him even more now. And now the movies are actually starring John Cho, which is awesome. We come back. We'll ask Alex uh, where he's going next. What kind of things he's working on in the studio. Thanks for listening to the Zag. We'll be right back. All right. We've had you in, uh, I think, twice maybe now to talk to uh, the Engage Fellows and just NLC in general. And you've talked a lot about some of the initiatives you're working on within the studios that really fire you up. Give folks some of the in- inside scoop on what you're trying to get done these days. Um, still working within the acquisition space, buying movies at festivals and working on movies in between. But something that is so interesting that I uh, actually have fully running now, which is amazing, is an initiative within Sony that's focused on telling 
positive stories about the modern uh, uh, U.S.-born Latinx experience. So we're trying to create movies that really focus on what it means to be first, second, third generation, fourth generation, even and further uh, individual who lives in the United States, you're U.S. born. In some cases, the stories tend to be not U.S. born, but they're just about Latinos living in the States and the stories that are more positively, um, uh, you know, depicting their day to day, whether that's just falling in love with somebody or, or having an issue with your business or, whatever it may be, just talking about people in very normal ways and talking about Latino people and getting more Latino faces on screen and stories in which you might have uh, seen various versions of throughout the years, but they never featured uh, Latino faces. So we're putting all those forward. So then do you try to get movies to festivals to get them more eyes or do you go looking for those films at festivals? And, and if so, what kind of things are you most intrigued by when you see things on the screen? Um, definitely go looking uh, for these films throughout everywhere and if, and it's and it's 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 a bit rare to find films that are specifically about the the u.s latino experience uh in the marketplace but they do come come about here and there but in addition to that um definitely trying to create as many of these stories as, as possible and i'm looking for stories that speak to you in a real way stories that are true stories about uh people that have experienced something really amazing in their life or terrible or difficult or whatever it may be and stories that inspire younger generations to think about you know what it means to have the option to see a movie that that where the cast might look like everybody they've seen in theaters over you know the past few years or many years or the opportunity to see a bunch of faces that look like their own on screen and just give audiences the chance to see a representation of a version of a slice of life of themselves or of somebody else that they may know, which just has never been an option before. And then what kind of progress are you seeing uh, kind of behind the camera or with screenwriters or, or, or even just in industry workers in general, trying to see different faces there, different voices there. Is there any way that you can help bring that along? What kind of things have you seen? Uh, we've definitely seen a lot of movement forward of Latino writers, Latinx writers in television. There, I mean, it's, it, it's not, huge steps by any means it's very limited steps but at the same time there are groups and organizations within television within various uh, large foundations within hollywood that represent the biggest of all everybody in the creative spaces that are now uh, interested in and focusing on you know furthering uh, job placement and hiring and movement of the latino culture within Hollywood forward in a variety of ways on and off screen. Those things do exist. And in addition to that, um, you know, for myself personally, just going around and speaking to various organizations of individuals who are Latino, uh, Latinx, or uh, from lower income backgrounds and income backgrounds that are upper middle class, everything in between, but also just speaking to everybody who is of Latino descent and telling them that there is an opportunity to be in the film industry if you want to be in it. And you just have to kind of figure out the angle that you're going to try to get yourself into it and trying to encourage kids to go for internships and, and, and positions and opportunities that could put them closer to the idea of doing a job within the arts and to let them know that it's not impossible. So while the numbers are low and it's difficult overall to get people in, um, there are a lot of people that are actively focused on trying to to make it happen. And then how did you end up in this role to begin with? 
how do you end up in the movies in general? I don't think I remember that story. Um, my family has no connection to film. My friends have no connections to film. Um, my entire journey, I went to undergraduate school for business at Cornell and, um, I had always been a big lover of media uh, overall. And while I was in business major, in my business major, I was not doing so great in a number of the classes that a lot of my colleagues, I mean, my classmates at the time were doing great in. So um, I focused on building a radio station that I felt would be really interesting way, to, an interesting way to utilize my business skills that I was growing at the time in a, in a version of a business uh, itself. So I started uh, the first radio station that was autonomously run um, by students at Cornell in the history of the school. We played everything. We played all sorts of music. We did podcasts, interviews like this. I had a radio station. There was um, bands that would come to school that we would interview like the Strokes or Tommy Ramone. I interviewed Lady Gaga when she just dropped out of NYU. Uh, and we were doing it like total, like hustling, like just bringing recorders around to the outside of the knitting factory to like chat with, you know, up-and-comers when they were like leaving the venue and they were so young and unknown at the time like gaga and now she's like the biggest thing ever probably gonna win the oscar this year it's amazing so we did that when when we were really young uh, me and two friends and um that then developed into a television network that we created for the school um which was very successful we were in business week for a bit because our organization was coming out in 2005 which was during like the beginning of the tech era and everything was digitally focused which at the time was kind of groundbreaking to not be doing your you know traditional kind of uh, terrestrial radio and uh, we made it digital and we had many many downloadable po uh, podcasts of our shows and uh, we hosted some great people and every kid that wanted a radio show could come on and we teach them how to do it and we taught ourselves and then it grew and then we were hosting TV shows. Then we had a music sharing platform that was like during uh, the time of like prior to SoundCloud. It was a version of SoundCloud, I guess. Prior to SoundCloud really taking off is a version of that. And uh, it was a great success. We then got offered to have our station purchased. We said well, no. Well, you were still yeah. Oh, wow. We said no because we wanted it to be a philanthropic endeavor for other kids who were also at Cornell that didn't have an outlet for media to utilize this space to learn and grow. And so that was a that was what it ended up being. And now it's one of the largest organizations at school still. And every year kids have to learn how to like run a conglomerate, like a tiny conglomerate, like of like, you know, consortium, conglomerate, whatever you want to say, of media companies and also learn how to host a show or do marketing and all that sort of stuff. So I use that experience to start uh, going into Manhattan and trying to get a job. And it was really difficult. Most of the people that I was competing against had been assistants, the majority of, uh, of the, you know, or interns, the majority of their college career, and they could easily go from NYU to intern during the day at some other place um, to learn about the business. I didn't have that. So I went around shopping my radio station skill set uh, to places and nobody was that impressed and I had a really difficult time and uh, I went through tons of companies in New York and uh, I saved the biggest ones for last. I kept interviewing at the biggest ones, but I saved my like final ditch effort of like, I'm going to do entertainment for, for the, for the last companies that I called uh, and got, was getting rejected by, I was getting rejected by everybody. And I called this company um, focus features right around the time that uh, no country for old men had just come out. That was released by an, another studio, but um I knew how the office worked. I knew there was going to be a new receptionist that day. I called in. 
I pretended to be Javier Bardem, needing to talk to the head of the studio, James Seamus. They immediately put me through when the assistant, who I knew was going to pick up, picked up the phone. I said, this is not Javier Bardem. This is Alex Zahn. I started this radio station. I used to do this, this, that, and the other thing. I really just want to know, how do you become an assistant to the head of a studio? I would love to do that job one day. That guy was uh, so thankfully not uh, annoyed by me. He said, I w- I'm really impressed by that. I'll call you back in an hour. He called me back. He set me up for one of my first jobs, which was casting movies. I cast movies for a bit in New York with A.V. Kaufman. I ended up casting movies through the recession and the writer's strike in 2008. I got a small job on the side of the writer's strike. Um, out, sorry, right prior to the writer's strike uh, that I helped cast. That movie ended up getting into Sundance. I went to Sundance to go help give the Q&A for that film, uh, which was uh, an interesting movie about street hustlers on Canal Street. I had cast an all and mostly non-acting North African cast of people from all over North Africa. Uh, the movie was really well received. It was in the next section, which is the same section where we just bought searching out of. So the next section has a great, great deal of importance to me in my life, my career. And uh, the movie was well received. A lot of people who were there for to do acquisitions for other studios were in the audience listening to me give the Q&A. After I gave the Q&A, they asked if, they want, if I wanted to come hang out with some of them. And that's how I ended up getting my job, which I still do to this day, doing acquisitions. So... Long story. It's a good, good, and a good story. And I also wonder, because I'm sure people ask this a lot, how you can crack into the industry or how do they get a job like yours or how do they follow that path? That would be a, a difficult one to replicate in the sense of starting your own college radio station and then pretending to be an Academy Award-winning actor on the first day of reception it starts. Yeah. So what is your usual go-to advice when people ask you how to get into the business? Yeah, it's a bit of an anomaly, my story. So I think I'd say for the most part, you just follow, you know, your heart and never give up and really persevere through it all. And uh, when everybody says you can't do it and they don't have any space for you, just find another angle and only do it if you really, really love it. But in addition to that, in more practical terms, you can go be a temp at a variety of companies in New York and LA that will help place you at entertainment companies. So you can at least see if you can withstand whatever the job is for a day or a month or a year or however long your placement is. And that's a great way in. And many uh, people have done gone down that path and there's no shame in being a temp at all. It's a great opportunity. And then you could also try to find your way in from the mailroom at an agency or a management company or a studio or wherever it may be, because those who deliver the mail know where everyone sits. And if you know where everybody sits, where they work, then you can maybe bump into them one day and give your pitch on, you know, why you may not be Javier Bardem, but you really deserve a chance to be an assistant, you know, down the road. I like it. And then last thing, what's uh, on deck for the fall and for the winter season from Sony Studios? Um, we have a bunch of awesome movies coming out. We have Front Runner, which is very uh, timely um, with Hugh Jackman, which is about Gary Hart's yeah. campaign. And it's coming out on election day. It's a really amazing movie. It's directed by Jason Reitman. And the movie is a great kind of depiction of what it means to be salacious, what it means to uh, be with within you know part of a scandal in, to, in 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 the eighties and versus today, and what we as a public will will accept. So that's a great movie. And then we have um, a Tom Hanks movie called uh, Greyhound, which is a World War II uh, destroyer movie, which uh, is starring Tom Hanks and. Uh, 
and he wrote it and uh it's just a really really awesome world war ii movie and he does those so well and uh and yeah we've got some we got goosebumps coming out we've got a bunch of really nice stuff something for everybody yeah exactly sounds good listen thanks for being on thanks for listening to this episode of the zag make sure to check out searching still in theaters and if you're in korea good luck getting a ticket but if you're in the states there's still room uh, but should definitely uh, find a way into your weekend entertainment schedule also, in your entertainment weekend schedule, make sure to download past episodes of The Zag. There's about 93 of them. Get them in the iTunes, Googles, the SoundClouds, the Stitchers, the Spotify's, wherever you can find them. And don't forget, if you're interested in applying to NLC, application deadline is October 1st at noon Pacific time. If you have any questions, hit us up and we'll help you finish the app. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon.